Hello, and welcome to The Message, brought to you by Campaign, the leading outlet for all things advertising in the world. It started in the UK and expanded to Asia, Pacific, India, the US, and we're excited to say Canada as of February 15th. I'm reporter Emma Johnston-Wheeler, joined by... I'm Chris Powell. Uh, apologies, I'm battling a slight man cold this week. I'm David Brown and 100% healthy. <laughs> Show up. <laughs> Each week at The Message, we're going to talk about some of the more interesting news stories we've covered, creative trends, topics, and big issues from our daily coverage of the Canadian ad industry. We're going to start with some of the big news that we broke this week. Rogers moved its advertising account to Publicis, and that's been getting a lot of attention. So, Chris, I'll ask you to talk about this one. Yeah, this was literally a stunner. When we learned about this last week, I think our collective jaws kind of dropped, I think. David and I have been covering this industry for a long time, and this is a big deal. This is the third time in four years that this account has moved. You know, you start to wonder, are they trying to solve problems that they're facing in the industry and, and the agency is the scapegoat here? Honestly, it's hard to know. And people have been very tight-lipped about it. We've had a few sort of casual sort of off-the-record conversations. We try, you know, we try to peg the value of the account. Uh, we've sort of heard between anywhere between 14 and $18 million for the account uh, value. We've also heard, again, unverified, but, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility is that they called the review just before the holiday season. December 22nd, yeah, I was told. <laughs> which feels, yeah, which feels, I, I don't know. Very I, bad clienty. It absolutely feels bad clienty. And as some, you know, there's been uh, some of these off the record conversations that we've had, people have, have sort of openly speculated about when does the client assume some degree of culpability? I don't know how often you can keep saying, well, the the agency is not getting it done for us. Uh, and the interesting news is that it, it is returning to publicists, which did hold the account before all this carousel of new agencies uh, came along. So maybe it's a return to what they were doing before then. So took a lot of people by surprise. As Chris said, it's the third account change since we we launched in 2019. And this is the third Rogers account story change we've done. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. all three of them, people are like, oh, my God, are you yeah. serious? So it's a fascinating one because it's a massive brand, obviously, to state the, state the obvious. A huge account to win. And there was some grumbling like, oh, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. But come on. It, you can't say no to that kind of a, a boost to your billings. It's yeah. it's a big deal. But like so many big telco brands, and it's not just Rogers, and I, I imagine it's the same. Uh, certainly it's the same with the other big telco brands. You're dealing constantly with a high level of customer dissatisfaction. Consumers are always angry at their telco provider. It's just one of those things. That's true. <laughs> you know, they charge too much. Their services, spotty, et cetera, et cetera. It's Canada. That's it's going to come up later on our podcast, but that's what life in Canada is about. <laughs> yeah. But there is fundamental problems with the brand, the products, and the services. Maybe not the products because, I mean, they're all the same. But you constantly hear this, that no one loves those brands. You can't blame the agency for that, though. No, those absolutely. You, you, but it's, it, you try to advertise and market your way out of, out of problems. It's also interesting, you know, there hasn't been – there was the campaign from, oh, I don't have it in front of me, the Sid Lee campaign, the brand campaign. With you all the way? With you all yeah. the way. I mean, yeah. they, so they, they hired Sid Lee two years ago. It took them almost a year to bring out a brand platform. And there hasn't really been brand work since then. So no. I'm going to guess that relationship wasn't going great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, it's also, I mean, you just think about a client of that size and complexity. You've got to imagine there's a pretty big time frame to learn the business such an abrupt change after so short a time. I'd imagine it, it's got to take the better part of a year to even just to, to get up to speed on, on the business. It. Yeah. Yeah. My family split between Bell and Rogers. 
no one loves them. I don't no. know. Do you know anyone who like in the challenger brands? Oh, oh, interesting. Well, I always think of it as like where you live and who you're locked yeah. in with. You don't really get the option, especially if you're in like an apartment or a condo. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That was a big one that everyone was talking about last week. Okay, yeah, and clearly we could go into that for a while. But another piece from Publicist that I wanted to talk about quickly, actually, is new work from Canadian Tire. And this will lend well to our discussion about Canadian ads and kind of the tone of it compared to other industries in the world. So it is work from Canadian Tire that is targeting immigrants. But I think it's worth noting that the family that is portrayed in this 30 second ad is wealthy. It's a big suburban home. And like, as they're unpacking their boxes, they're looking around at all their neighbors doing these like very quintessential Canadian sports. And then they kind of just like try them. They just do them and it's cute and it's wholesome. Cause you know, they're having fun and they're falling and they're laughing. So we tried asking our friends and families what they thought of this ad to see like really how it resonates with people. David, did you want to start with your responses? Yeah, I, my dad didn't like it because he thought the product placement was too heavy handed, but he was kind of the only one. My sister-in-law, so this is what she sent me. I identify with this. When we were growing up, my dad was responsible for procuring all sports gear equipment. We always went to Canadian Tire. It's where I got my first set of skates, my first bike, my first pair of rollerblades. It was the go-to. She so, sounds like she was paid to say that. Maybe. <laughs> so they, she really liked it. And then my brother-in-law said he wants to buy the hot tub. Um, you know, I, I'll, t- I'll be honest. I was intrigued by the hot tub. The yeah. hot tub was, was like, maybe the most intriguing part. Yes. But then, like, where does one get that? I it, it was interesting. It was a fairly small hot tub. It does seem accessible. Well, yes. he my brother wants it for the cottage. I talked to my wife. So just to preface this, my wife is generally cynical about marketing and advertising as a rule. Why? Uh, so, what's, so, so, <laughs> what's wrong with her? Which is to say that she comes in with a, with a bit of a predetermined attitude towards what she sees. But I, I think there's some validity there. Her assessment was that to her, it didn't represent the true immigrant experience. And I think that's talking a little bit to what you said at the beginning, like they're living in a large suburban home. Right. Uh, and, and not, you know, not to generalize, of course, but I mean... It, no, but it, it is I, very specific. Yes. It is somebody who already has a certain wealth or like a certain income that will allow them to buy these to, things. And to live in Toronto. I mean, well, yeah, it, in Toronto, I mean, it could be any large metropolis in yeah. Canada, but... Uh, well, they seem very close to forest areas, though. So it, it is really interesting. <laughs> And I had asked one of my roommates who is from India and moved here in 2019 for school. So he's kind of an interesting example because he's encountering new stuff still like all the time. And honestly, he watched it and he kind of just said, not me personally, but I can see how it would resonate with other people. Mainly it's because he's just not interested in any of the like winter sport items that they're trying to market. He plays soccer and video games. He knows what he likes. He's not really trying to adapt to any kind of specific like imagery he's seeing here well i will say when i first came to canada from england in the late 70s i did try ice fishing and it is an absolutely <laughs> awful pastime really? i can see i cannot see why there is any merit to that activity sitting outside on a frozen patch of ice waiting for fish to strike is uh, who did yeah. you do that with relatives that is so interesting yeah. they asked you to do that with them? yeah well uh, yeah it was it was considered like one of the quintessential Canadian experiences. You go ice fishing. How did fishing. you do? 
Oh, terribly. did you get anything? No, no, it's I've <laughs> never done it. It's horrible. I've never done it. It's a horrible activity. I don't like being cold. No, I, <laughs> no. I mean, no, no. And you know, some people they actually have like yeah, huts, yeah. like they actually are right. equipped. We had nothing. We were on a barren tundra <laughs> with winds whipping from no, all you directions. Were, you were doing it wrong. And, and a tiny little hole. And yeah, I was like, I, I will never do this. We again, should so. say though, too. I mean, it is it's portraying the immigrant experience, but it's definitely targeting. It's on mass TV. I mean, I'm seeing it on yeah, TV all the time. It's, like, yeah, it's, not right. on, it's not on ethnic media. Yeah. So I think there's that part of this too. It's the depiction of the immigrant experience in a way that should resonate with all Canadians. Well, right. so my, my, one of the things my wife said, it's like, you know, the, the spot goes to some length to portray it as being this is their first winter, right? Like you see yeah. them, they've still got their belongings in their hands, like their suitcases yeah. and stuff. So she said, uh, you know, my wife's complaint was it's the first winter here. You've got a lot more things to be concerned about and hot tubbing <laughs> isn't among them. So Yeah, it is pretty impressive how quickly they get to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So speaking of the Canadian ad industry, the topic that we want to discuss this week is based on the claim that Canadian advertising is too aggressively Canadian. So David, I will let you explain. It's <laughs> a good segue. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've been working for a few weeks and this is going to be a theme for us. Made in Canada, we're calling this. And it's all about how the Canadian ad industry can be better, how we can raise the bar there's a sense that we have been doing pretty good the past few years, and we, there's no question we have. If you look at sort of the can, how we're doing in can as a, as a metric. The, Although the, I've heard complaints that that's not a good barometer. And that's the problem. If you only look at can, then you might think it's going okay, but we have to look beyond that. You know, how do we win more international assignments? How do we become sort of a go to destination for advertising? So we've had lots and lots and lots of conversations um, the past few weeks. And one of the individuals I spoke with was David Colbu's who is now running a top creative at an agency he launched in New York called Orchard, but spent most of his career in London, going back and forth between London and New York, Droga 5, Wyden Kennedy, the best of the best agencies in the world. And he was sort of leading their creative output. But he's also Canadian. He started in Canada. He went to school and graduated from Humber and did only two years in Canada before he left. And so in some ways, he's the perfect example of one of the topics. So him and I had a long conversation about the Canadian ad industry. And he said, Emma, just as you said, one of the problems with Canadian advertising is that it's too aggressively Canadian. And I hadn't thought much about this until he said it. I mean, it's a fascinating, I hadn't thought about it much until he said it. And it's hard for me to say, because I've never spent an extended period of time in other markets. So I, I, yeah. I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I wonder what is the corollary of that that uh, Australian advertising is too Australian? Is that's uh, what he is Bulgarian advertising too Bulgarian? As, you know, let's pick a more esoteric market. I mean, I don't, is there not a sense of national pride in every country that is reflected in your marketing and advertising? I don't disagree with him. I mean, there is. It's, you know, we lean into tropes a lot in Canada. So, but to me, it has to speak to, you have to show you understand your consumer. You're, if your consumer is Canadian, you have to understand them yeah, first. Yeah, I think there's some validity to that, for sure. We were talking about how can we don't see more brands come out of Canada that go global. And his supposition was maybe it's because of this. Your advertising is too Canadian. But Canadian Tire never, Canadian Tire has no aspirations to go beyond Canada, I don't think. They tried it. Did they? Yeah, they launched in Texas in the 80s. Canadian Tire? Yeah, 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 yeah. It didn't go well. I wonder, was the name? Same name? (laughs) Probably. I don't see him. I don't know. No, I'm going to check my memory, but I believe it was Texas. I'm pretty sure it was Texas. Yeah. But you have to understand your consumer. And so the thing was, it it may do well in Canada, but it's not going to work on the world stage. Yeah, but you got to do well in Canada first for a lot of these brands. Now, but conversely, brands like Canada Goose, Arcteryx keeps coming up in my conversation as a brand that's doing great on the world stage. And they don't come across as 
aggressively Canadian. They just they're about a, the experience, which happens to be Canadian. They're doing well in cold weather, but they don't make it about Canada right. as much. I don't even think everyone knows they're Canadian. Right, right, exactly. Shopify is another one. Like you know, it's a famous Canadian brand. There's nothing Canadian about their marketing because they they were global from the jump. I guess Lululemon, yeah. another one. If those brands. To his point, aren't doing that sort of they they're languishing in these Canadian tropes and stereotypes in their communications, right? And not to quote like your interview with him, but rather than relying on behavioral insights that's that would a big apply one. to a larger demographic, he said, "Don't do a beer ad about how Canadians drink beer. Do a beer ad about how people drink beer, about beer drinkers. That's the insight you want, not a Canadian beer insight. Beer is a tricky one though because I don't think I buy Canadian specific products, but having not really much of a preference for beer, I would gravitate towards certain Canadian beers. In fairness, though, not Molson. I would prefer a Moosehead or a Steam Whistle. And that maybe has more to do with like the understated packaging. Moosehead, though, is like very Canadian Canadian. in an old school way, which is kind of cool. One of the other thoughts that occurred to me was, and David did say this to me, and you just alluded to it, Emma, is do you go into the store and buy Canadian stuff? Do you do that? No. Kind of do. Do you really? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah. I mean, in a sustainability sense, I think that's an easy benchmark for like buying local. Yeah. But yeah. But what, does made, what does made in Canada clothing look like? Like that's not a, that's not an area where we have a lot of brands, is it? Right. Well, no, I guess they're much smaller scales. So it's right. like small batch right. brands. Yeah. Aritzia's come up for me a couple of times. Right. Yeah. Aritzia's come up for me a couple yeah, of times Canadian too. Canadian brand. Yeah. But you see, you didn't even know that, right? Did you? I, I didn't, didn't know that. I didn't know that. And it doesn't really reflect that positively on us, does it? No. Because it's a fast fashion. It's, fa- it's, it's, a, fast, it's a fast fashion. fashion and it's known oh. for catering to like small women's sizes and oh. like not being a very friendly like retail environment. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah. I've never said it's Very un-Canadian. Yeah. Very un-Canadian. But for me, it is. I do think about those kinds of things. I am prideful of being Canadian in that way. Right. I would look for Canadian product over if if all things being equal, I would buy a Canadian product. Really? Yeah. And so I think I think that's I do think that other Canadians feel that way. Actually, now maybe I'm wrong because it's two of you say no. <laughs> well, but, it but what what are your Canadian products that you would look? Because I look around oh, your I house, you've got you've either. got Apple, you've got you've got everything that's the same thing that we all have in our homes that's that's made by international tech giants. The big uh, stuff. Like what? So what is it that you're you're speak, I can't, seeking I honestly, out specifically? I can't, I'm just saying on a random experience. If if you said to me this is a Canadian thing, I'm trying to think. Um, the thing I keep thinking of is maple syrup. Yeah. I'm so proud well, that well, we can literally buy maple Canadian. syrup that yes. is made and like taken from trees, like not far from where we live. That's and, their case. And I it, will it never buy Vermont maple syrup. Not a chance. Yeah, yeah. So that's why that's so that, that's I draw it. the line at Vermont maple one. syrup. And they've been doing that in their marketing, right? They've been bragging about the Canadian this. Yes. Yes. Right. It's, that's a big yes. campaign. In the States, too. Aren't they running in the States? Yeah, they are. Yeah, right now, actually, they're running ads in the U.S. Uh, for the maple, Quebec maple maple syrup producers. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that yeah. is interesting. Because yeah, uh, more so in America, it's about uh, they're about uh, yeah. I don't know how this conversation got to, to where we are now, but they're more about corn syrup than they are maple right, syrup. Yes, right. Right. Yes. Yeah. High fructose. <laughs> but I so I guess to that example, there's something about like the actual labor of like the Canadian like workforce that we're appreciating there. We like to buy things from people when we can see that they're literally making them like in our backyard. Right. That goes without saying. Do I buy things with Canadian labels specifically? I avoid things that are touristy looking. Like I don't I don't <laughs> want it to look like I'm, you know. So no no sweatshirts with a Canadian flag on them. No, absolutely uh, not. No. The like uh what are the the Toronto against everyone like yeah. what, whatever that brand is, that doesn't compel me. Right. Oh, actually I'm wearing one. Peace Collective. 
It's right. Canadian. That's a Canadian. Like I like peace for sweatshirts and hoodies. I would choose that. Yeah. Right. Over Gap or or Banana Republic. It's or whatever. subtle though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want it to. I don't want to scream Canadian. I would. But if it's made in Canada, I would. I I look for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Canadian Tire actually, they're Canadian brand, and who's coming to the market against them? They're kind of Lowe's tried. Right. Didn't do well. And other Canadian, you know, Target tried and didn't make it. You know, there. I think there is Nordstrom's. You know, I think in Toronto, I think a lot of people are like, we prefer Holt Renfrew over Nordstrom's. It's interesting to think that American brands have come here, big American brands, and failed in ways that we everyone assumed they would yeah. win. Yeah, well, I mean, Target is a perfect example of, and, and the and the big complaint about Target was they just didn't understand the market, and they thought that just by dint of being American, they were going to succeed in in a in a, in a difficult re- this is a difficult retail market. I mean, it's fascinating. I think there's a lot of merit to what he said. I do think the communications I get because all of that said, I do think absolutely there's 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 a default to the tropes and the cliches and the stereotypes, and they don't play well on the world stage. I think it was him, David, that brought up to me. You know, we all everyone points to, and we've we've done it in, in our reporting and in our writing about the we all point to the rant as the, sort of the iconically you know, one of the greatest Canadian ads of all time. And it won a bronze in Cannes, you know? So it didn't play well on the world no. stage. But very specific. Exactly. So yeah, so yeah, it yeah. did great very. in Canada, which yeah. was their goal, but it doesn't help your brand it doesn't, yeah. beyond it was. Canada. It resonated with Canadians, and that's it. So, yeah, it's a fascinating topic. To conclude all of our podcast episodes, we are going to talk about ad experiences that we've had in our actual lives in the wild. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot lately about my subscriptions. I've got all of them. Do you really? Yeah. 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 So Apple Plus, Crave. Disney. Disney. I think I've got them all. Hulu. Uh, No, Hulu. We don't have any. Oh, yeah, right. Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Prime, of course. Yeah. But so I was thinking about how good they are at rolling out the marquee stuff to keep you locked in. Mm. Like I was going to cut Apple Plus just because I wanted to try and cut something. And then this new Masters of the Air show comes along and I'm locked into that now. You know, it's it's there's always something. Disney's got always got something new coming out every few months. So it's just a challenge. And, and the yeah. subscriptions, but this, I think there's a real problem with subscription overload. And now that they're out of the ad tiers, it's going to be interesting to see how that influences things because prime just dropped chris and i were talking about this so i pay for prime i haven't had to pay extra for anything yet so you're taking the ads because i am well yeah okay so i'm taking the ads i guess that's the difference it's an extra 2.99 a month right okay so yeah so i saw the uh skip the dishes ad which is one that chris wrote about in october actually the uh nfl tarp which is, you know, this jersey bib that you can wear while you're eating. I just think it's like the most ridiculous thing. But it plays for like 15 seconds. And then, you know, it says that you get to watch the rest of the program for free. So now you're kind of grateful for some dishes because now you get to watch the rest of your show without interruption. But it also acknowledges that the viewer hates ads. Yeah, except that, you know, uh, maybe it's because of the industry I'm in and I'm attuned to this, but I, I didn't feel that the ads were overly interrupted. They were, it was like two 15 seconds and they were reasonably well spaced apart. I mean, it's not like, t- you know, network TV, I think it's 16 minutes of, of ads per hour. So the ad loads, it's not up. And that's, to your point, I think the one interesting thing is I sort of justify it by saying if I take the ad tier on Netflix, as an example, and I declined the ad-free option on on Prime. Is that enough to justify adding another subscription service, yeah. right? 
Yeah. That, is that is that the cost, right? Am I willing to sacrifice a, a few ads on Netflix and then, well, I can use that money that I'm saving to add something new? To add something new. I don't know. I haven't come to that. But I haven't made that decision yet. The other thing I've heard is I have heard of the ads being interruptive, which is it's in content that wasn't created with ad breaks. Yeah. And it's jarring. It's really jarring. Yeah, I think that's it's going to be incumbent upon producers Network TV, you can tell when an ad break is coming up. You can, I, I you can know, sense as a it. Buyer, as a buyer, though, how how would you feel if your ad – because it is jarring. It's annoying when it, it's in the middle of a gripping scene and all of a sudden your ad – But I think it's going to get better. Yeah. I think they're, they're going to start creating shows that are optimized for ad breaks, just like they do on network TV. What were you watching on Prime? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Smith. Same. Yeah, which is crazy. I this so this is the TV adaption of the movie, which you've both seen, of course, yes. with Brad and Angelina. But it's like cringe comedy, which is really interesting. It's dark. It's like, did it's you see dark Atlanta? Cringe comedy. Did you watch Atlanta? No, I didn't. Yeah, so Donald Glover with that. It reminds me a bit of Atlanta. It's it, you like it though? Oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's almost uncomfortable to watch, but I do love it. Oh, it's cringy? Yeah, it was literally cringe comedy, which is what the actress is known for. And she's a bit of an up-and-comer. I didn't know. I don't know her. Maya Erskine. Yeah. She was in Pen15, oh, which did really movie. well. Yes. Right, I remember and that. And now show. everybody wants to see her in rom-coms. Yeah. Donald Glover. I think Donald Glover is fantastic. I agree. Yeah, that's probably all that we have time for today. You can follow The Message Podcast everywhere that you get your favorite podcasts and keep up with us at the newly launched campaign site. 